The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space. Celebrating tenure through the community. Created by Carl Sinclair. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Welcome, everybody, to the first talk in the uh, lecture series hosted by the research team of Trinity College Dublin, Manuscript, Book and Print Cultures. Uh, it's a great pleasure for me and honor to have been asked to chair and introduce our speaker today, Christina Cleary. Uh, she's of good Trinity stock, uh, having started her studies in October 2005 of early and modern Irish as a single honors course uh, completed four years later, and in between even so many signs that she uh, uh, is serious about philological studies, she even took a summer out, so to speak, or part of it, to learn Latin on the side. Uh, so she followed that up with uh, a taught MA abroad in Marburg in Germany, which she picked for various reasons, but one of them is that English is not spoken there, so she learned another language in that way. Uh, after her return, she engaged in a PhD project uh, about a particular class of early Irish tales, and uh, uh, she also edited, first gave a first critical edition of an important early Irish text found in an equally important uh, 16th century manuscript. Uh, she must have fallen in love with that particular manuscript uh, because uh, it has been engaging her ever since. It's, uh, it's one that's kept in the British Library in London, Edgerton, 1782, with a boring name, doesn't have a real name, but today she's gonna to talk about a manuscript with an actual name, which is the Book of Leinster, kept in Trinity College, dated to, uh, well, written over a long period from mainly in the 12th century into the 13th century. And uh, she's currently working on Middle Irish Scolia on a very early, or at least early looking text uh, uh, that's her current uh, uh, occupation. She's also engaged more long-term in a diplomatic edition of that named manuscript Edgerton, but she'd probably say herself, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, because that's another big project, uh, no doubt will uh, come soon as well. The, the talk today is about women's words, women in the book of Leinster, particularly about uh, a number of descriptions to, of poems to women. Uh, so let's uh, hear it then. There you are, Christina. The floor is yours. Thank you, Jürgen. That's quite the introduction. <laughs> um, I'm delighted to be here today. I'm just going to share my uh, presentation with you now. Um, is my, my sound is all right, is it? Yep. Great. Um, okay, and I'll just start from the start. So yeah, so I'm really honoured to, to have been asked um, by Professor Shahud, uh, the theme convener, speak for Women's Day. The subject of women as represented in early Irish literature isn't, as Jürgen explained, isn't the focus of my current research project, um, far from it in fact, but it's it's something that's always fascinated me. With TCG being my alma mater, I also feel closely connected with the uh, major collection of Irish language manuscripts, which are of huge importance for the study of Irish history, heritage and the language itself. I heard one of my old lecturers, Damien McManus, used the phrase, a great intellectual achievement earlier in the week. And I think this aptly describes the manuscript uh, I'm talking about today, the 12th century Book of Leinster. So this is one of only three surviving Irish, Irish language manuscripts compiled before the Norman invasion. 
Um, and within its nearly 400 pages is a vast wealth of material written in the vernacular, that is in Irish. Unlike manuscripts produced for presentation purposes, the Book of Leinster was a scholar's book and it bears all the hallmarks of that. So the only decoration is in the form of ornamental capitals used to mark the beginning of texts and it contains plenty of interlinear glosses and marginal notes. As a Women's Day event, therefore, I wanted to take this book and find the women in its pages in the hopes of presenting to you a broad overview of how medieval Irish women are depicted in it. And if you do happen to get bored at all, you can test your knowledge of Irish paleography by looking at the textual examples on my slides. I've pilfered the Irish script on screen project for all these wonderful images that you'll see. I'll start by looking at the various depictions of women um, in the literature contained in LL with the Book of Leinster before turning to a small selection of speeches and poems uttered by women and the words and terms used to describe them and the female characters. Of course, I won't have time to mention every single woman in the Book of Leinster um, and I will be so bold as to exclude the women in the town, the town of Ocunia. Um, the only reason I'm doing this is because discussions about Maeve uh, Queen Maeve are already uh, widely available and I'd like to give the stage to some other women. Um, however, she does feature now and again, but in different texts. So apart from the odd reference as well, I'll also exclude the great volume of place lore material, um, the Metrical Din Llenachus. Um, this is of course a huge collection and much of which does feature female figures, but you can look, look that up yourself if you want. Um, so that said, women don't tend to play the protagonist in the vast majority of literature in LL. If we were to put together an anthology of writing for medieval Irish, for the medieval Irish woman, it would have been quite small and most of the subject matter quite grim. <laughs> um, it would include the death tale of Medhav, the Connacht Queen, the death tale of Dervergal, daughter of the King of Lothlin and wife of one of Cuchulain's foster brothers, Lugav, and the story about the curse of the Ulster men known as Noind and Ullav, all of which you see, well, all of which appear side by side actually in the manuscript. Later in the manuscript, um, we have two tales in which women feature prominently. We have Lungus uh, MacNishlin, also known as the Deirdre story, um, and a strange little mock classical tale called The Fate of the Sinful Girl of the Greeks, Towards the end of the manuscript, we also have a text devoted to the mothers of Irish saints. Elsewhere in the manuscript, uh, women are present to a greater or lesser degree, uh, playing a wide variety of roles. For example, the love interest like Flithish and Thonbo Flithisha, the mother of the land and of the people, the jealous wife, the villain, the warrior, the wise old woman, the leader, the prognosticator, the other world woman, and the saint to name a few uh, obvious categories. The first woman we encounter uh, quite fittingly is on page one of the manuscript and this is Eve uh, in the Levergavala Asian. However, the creator of this recension of the Levergavala in LL um, and you can see here that this first page is quite, uh, it's quite faded. Um, uh, but the creator of this recension, he doesn't, he doesn't really dwell on the fall uh, nor on Eve's indiscretion and, and neither will I, but it's just worth remarking. But the idea of the villainous woman is one that pervades 
medieval Irish literature. And we find this interesting little tidbit at the end of an Irish adaptation of an apocryphal text on page 282 of the Book of Leinster. It's interesting to look at 12th century Ireland through this lens, i.e. that half the population was thought to have been led by the devil himself. Um, and there it says the power of, of woman is greater than any other power, for in her brow is her guardian Satan, um, so that no blame can be put on her, whatever she does. So we have our out. <laughs> um, so I'll return shortly to some examples of cunning or, or villainous women. But before I do so, I, I want to look at a couple of positive images of, of the woman as ruler and founder of nations, uh, beginning with Levergvala. So there we encounter Kessert, granddaughter of Noah, the great, the great mother, the Magna Mater, as McAllister put it, of the Irish people before the flood. According to the Levergavala, Kessler was the first of the seven peoples to invade Ireland, and she did so with a band of 50 women and only three men. The image given below, or given here, is from page four of the Book of Leinster. Um, uh, alternative versions uh, give her name as Banva, um, and the name Kessler is actually frequently glossed or explained as, as Eardu, modern Irish Eardu, so both of which lend their name to the land. So you can see here in the text, it says, Rogave of Catherine Yenbetha Vecnoi, Coiglaure and Neeland. So Catherine, daughter of Beth, um, uh, took it, i.e. Ireland, 40 days before the flood. In another recension of uh, the Levergavala, Catherine is celebrated in a poem as Catherine, daughter of Enduring Beth, fosterling of Savile, son of Manuel, in Cheid Ven Halma, Rokind, Rogav Banva Neeland. So the first valorous woman who set forth, who invaded Ireland before the flood. Indeed, it's noteworthy for a woman to be described as calma, valorous, as this adjective was generally reserved for men. As I'll discuss in a bit, uh, similar language is used with regard to other influential female, female figures like St. Bridget, um, uh, Brigid and Gurmloth. Perhaps unsurprisingly, um, women feature prominently in onomastic lore so that's in the, expl the explanation of the origin of place names. In Levergavala, we meet Tleltu, queen of the fear of Ulug, fourth group of people said to have settled in Ireland and daughter of Magvor, the king of Spain. So this is the woman uh, to whom the game of Tleltu were, the games of Tleltu were dedicated uh, every year, Oinach Tleltun. We know from the surviving law tracks that women's prospects in the professional world were limited. Um, however, there were, there were women um, acknowledged as having had special skills, um, some of which feature in the Levergavala. So in, in attaining these skills, uh, uh, some women could actually transcend social limitations. So, um, but of course here we're talking about mythological women. Um, among the progeny of Dean Kecht, the healer of the Tuatha Dei Danann, we find his daughter Avon, a Banagus female poet, and Arvid Banlich, female physician. And um, furthermore, we find Behulle and Dianan, two female chiefs. And these are archetypal images of women of learning um, and more importantly of, of wealth um, in, in the pseudo-history uh, of pre-Christian Ireland. So as regards the female experience, even in the mythological material, there is a grain of truth to be found. Uh, women are often the ones who are left behind after the battle has ended. And I feel like this is a theme that would have resonated with, uh, with women at the time. 
And it's the reason why, as we, we'll see later on, um, one of the more common poetic utterances by a woman is the lament. Um, in the story of the Battle of Malkhurad, we find women dying of grief for the loss of their loved ones, as well as women killed in battle, um, such as the farmer women, um, the way in which women die of grief is usually through their physical heartbreak, um, or as in the case of Mascagra's wife, just falling down backwards, falling down dead. Men dying of grief, on the other hand, is, is often more valorous, like Logob Ravenlurk, um, who threw himself on his sword when he lost his wife. Another cause of death uh, for women was dying out of shame. Um, in an explanation of the place name Inverfeilie, which we can translate as the river, the river mouth of modesty, um, in the Leverk of all Aden, we learn that the wife of Logod Macitha died of shame, shame upon seeing her husband's Ferva, his manhood, when they were both bathing in the lake. The editor and translator of this text, McAllister, he suggested that the fatality was caused not by the embarrassment of nudity, but, the but by the enjoyment derived from it, and that this was part of the taboo. So indeed, we come across the taboo of nudity um, or partial nudity in Cuchulain's Boyhood Deeds, where bare-breasted women are sent out to quell his fury, which, which quickly turns to embarrassment. Is the message in the Levergavala that as the fairer sex, women's hearts couldn't stand up to the thrill, um, or perhaps a moralistic anecdote on the dangers of the sin of lust, uh, even when directed towards your own husband? A later recension offers an alternative explanation that it, it could have been a thive, a fit of passion, and um, so yeah, lust, and um, that brought about Field's death. Not all female characters are so faint of heart, however. Um, some are simply uh, kick-ass. The image of the woman as ruler and warrior in medieval Irish literature is, is well known probably to the audience um, who are familiar with Queen Maeve um, in the town. Indeed, her victory in battle and tearing down the Ulster side and leaving them in ruins is well documented by her opponent, the Ulster King Conqueror in, in the tale Cap Russian League on page 171 in the book Leinster, which you can see here. Um, and there he says, Argusther Medov Kameen, Medov Maeve ravaged easily. And in another stanza, he says, Ni Arg of Nargoigat Khan, Mur Nabala, Kanargon, Nadun, Namuidish, Kusker, Namur, Kana, Gana, Dean Luskut. So she left not in our fair province, wall nor stead, uh, without ravage nor fort in which they boasted not triumph, uh, nor wall without fiercely burning it. So quite the image. In Scala Conchavard, the legends of the Ulster King Conchavard Magnasa, um, his mother Ness goes on a killing spree uh, while on the hunt for the man who murdered her foster father's vengeful woman. Similarly, we were reminded here of the warrior woman, Scothach, who trained Cuchulain in the martial arts. I know some impressive women myself who could be given the epithet that this next warrior woman bears, Cadillan, uh, hard-headed. This Spanish woman, Cadillan, appears on page 245b, you see here in the Book of Leinster, in the tale Tochwerk Ferva, uh, where she's described as a ban a, a, a female warrior. 
and you can you can just about see it but it is there <laughs> barely make it out um then we have Macha Mungrud. Um, she this is the woman who lends her name to Evan Macha, uh, modern day Navin Fort. Um, and she could have all she could also have been given this nickname, um, because in this short tale she fights to take the place of the king, her father, after his death, um, after he'd left no male heir. And this is actually something that features in the law tracks, um, which I don't have to I don't have time to go into here, um, but it was a legitimate issue. Macha possesses gifts of both martial intelligence and cunning. In her fight for legitimacy, she wages war against the sons of Deetherpa and off the battlefield, she lures them into a trap through the promise of sexual favours before taking them hostage. Macha physically overcomes the men one by one, tying them up and leaving them in the woods. Um, she also uses the language of a king. When she takes the sons of Deetherpa captive, the Ulster men urge her to kill them, but she says, Nitho, no, Eris cold fear flatha dovsa, because that is the transgression of my fear flatha, i.e., the prince's truth. Another example of similar language, uh, usually reserved for male rulers, is found later in the Book of Leinster in the poem in praise of St. Bridget, uh, St. Brigid, which begins, Slan sesh of Rigid Gumuad. Uh, sit safely triumphant Brigid and, and this is on page 49b. This poem which actually only it only survives in the book of Leinster so it's quite quite a treasure and um, it celebrates Bridget's victory over the island and its kings. The language of sovereignty used to describe Bridget is remarkable um, she's a banlath a female ruler with banded hosts um, towards the end of the poem, the poet exclaims, Ragav the chlu for a chlu in the rig is tu for the thaw. Your fame has outshone the fame of the king. You rule over them all. And her reign is also described as bitlach, everlasting rule. Often women's political influence appears in a more informal setting um, in the form of pillow talk. Uh, pillow talk scenes between a powerful ruler or an influential figure and his wife. The best example of the pillow of pillow talk is, of course, the second recension of the poem. Um, but we also we, we also have it in the tale, sometimes known as Tuchford Fedeva, the wooing of Fedev. In this tale, uh, the the Ulster king Concovert asks his wife Mogan whether he should uh, uh, wage war against the Connachtman, and she responds. Truly, there has been enough strife already between us and the men of Connacht. This is clearly a woman who is sick of her husband's antics. In the story, um, uh, when the provinces of Ulster and Connacht are vying for Macdapo's hound, Alva, um, the man is tossing and turning in his bed when he and his wife talk about the matter in the form of a versified dialogue. His wife comments first on his restlessness and is rebuffed when she offers an ear. Uh, and her husband says, room, 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 her So a woman's secret is not kept, jewels are not given to slaves, um, which is uh, uh, he might as well say there's no point giving you 
telling you a secret because you cannot keep it um, just as a slave cannot keep a jewel. Um, so she's not, she must be used to him because she's not put off by his attitude and she suggests that she might be able to give him advice that he hadn't thought of. Um, and she says, Nina tailed the, the vendor, so um, tailed the mender, nach alle, so, or mender, so. Uh, she says, my mind may comprehend what yours does not. Um, well, needless to say, if anybody has read the story before, this turns into a cautionary tale about why you should never trust a woman's advice. <laughs> um, so other women who, who feature less prominently are those who are mothers of great men and women used to forge powerful royal alliances through marriage. So for example, a different woman named Kessler, uh, this from Kessler, Hrothoch, daughter of the King of France, is married to Othana Moore, the King of Ireland and Scotland, for this purpose. But not all marriages are presented as, uh, per, as perfunctory as this um, in the Book of Leinster. In a secret encounter between the two lovers, Findavar, daughter of Alala Mevav, and the warrior Froich in the tale Tanvo Froich, and um, the maiden Findavar explains that her marrying Froch is not through a political arrangement um, per se. Um, and here she says, Ni il do devrisha nach meidasa on winter agas gadea mothogasa dano do chogatsa is tu rocharis. So you are not so poor that you cannot get me from my people, i.e., you can pay my bride price, and it will be my choice to go with you. For it is you I have loved. Um, and I didn't have any access to any of the editions by Wolfgang Maid. Um, so you'll have to accept Gans's translation, popular translation here, which is, which is accurate here. So we also, we can't overlook Deirdre uh, um, of Lungus McNichlin, who while kept lock, locked away for the old king, Conchover Macnessa, she decides instead to take the lover of her choice, the young and fit Moisha McIshlin. And she says, uh, uh, after goose stepping him in the hallway, she says, No fog from Edra for niche or shisha, August Mugavan Tarvin Og, a young bull, uh, Avil Tussa. So I would choose between the two of you, uh, she says, and I would take a young bullock like you. Um, quite the compliment. And then we're told the southern for her So she makes a leap then and grabs him by both ears. Um, and she says when he when he doesn't agree to take her with him, and she says, These are two ears of shame and derision, um, unless you take me away with you. So strong willed woman. But we all know how that tale ended. So um, as in the Deirdre story, women are often used in the male display of power. Um, so we see this in the Siege of Hoth, where kings have to hand their wives over to the poet Athernia Algisach for a night upon his request. And granting this command, it, it secures the preservation of the honour of the king and his people. Um, we see the same in Gaelic Conchobard, uh, women are presented to Conchover to be deflowered on their wedding night. Um, of course, it's often difficult to gauge to what extent the literature reflects true, true social norms. 
um, what was exaggerated, what simply never existed, um, or what was made up for entertainment. So, for example, this practice never appears in the law tracts. Um, however, that's not to dismiss uh, the chance that it could have happened um, in, on a more informal level. So I have I have a special place in my heart for a woman scorned um, because she makes for a great character. Uh, Mung and wife of the legendary king, Ofup Mwigvadon, is a prominent and influential figure in a poem uh, uh, ascribed to the 12th century poet Kuan Ulofkan. Lofkan. Um, this woman had to put up with her husband taking a woman named Karen, uh, Karen hostage and fathering a child with her. Worse still, this child would grow up to be the great Neil Noyilach, uh, Nile of the Nile, Nine Hostages, as he's more commonly known. Um, Neil is cast out of his father's house and raised by his foster father. And it's when he returns one day to ask for his mother, Karen's release from bondage, that Mungand rears her head to refuse his request. And the poet says, Advert Mungin for the Vag, Zelfan Echtach, Il Kruppach, but Dur Karden Kumakach, Kim Maris Toiv, Talton Thor. So she says, Karen shall be like the rest, a slave as long as Talchu's plane endures. However, uh, Karden is released, um, and Neil and his brothers set about traveling the country, uh, during which time it's revealed that Neil will become king. Returning to the assembly with the news, uh, Mungand becomes enraged and orders her sons to kill Neil. Um, and it says that uh, advert, sorry, advert uh, Mungand Rea Makov, Delva Deva Duglakov, Nihil Duvarad Ranyach, Marther Ogov, Neil Nevnach. So then said Mungand to her sons, Jury, you upstrife with unsparing hands. Not me, that you tell it to anyone. Let venomous Neil be slain by you. So this is a testament to Mungan's influence and power that her sons rise up and begin to fight. Mungan isn't alone in having had a political agenda for her offspring. Um, in Conkover McNeas's origin story, his mother Ness orchestrates his rise to power using a combination of her physical beauty and her sharp political wit. So Ness exchanges a night of passion with the King of Ulster, Fergus MacRoach, for the nominal kingship um, for her son. And after this event, we're told, Rugav Thrawn then for Chunkusk a Mac Agatha Adza Agatha Winter. So the woman began to instruct her son and his fosters and his household. So this is Mammy at the helm. And she organizes that the wealth of Ulster be redistributed um, so as to curry political favor with the people. And this ensured that when the day came um, for her son to relinquish his nominal kingship, uh, the people of Ulster would protest that he should remain as king. So I've come to the portion of the talk where I give some examples of poems uttered by women and attributed to women. But to my knowledge, there are only two standalone uh, poems in the Book of Leinster attributed to women. So there's one by Med of Lethderg and one by Gurmloth. I'm gonna take a quick drink of my water here. You have to excuse excuse the pine glass because I don't own any proper glasses. Um, so the remainder of the poems uttered by women appear in prose metrum. So uh, that's in tales written in a combination of prose and verse. 
and uh, eulogies form a large part of women's utterances in early Irish literature. Um, one of the better known among them is Everil or Emer's Lament for Cuchulain, as seen here on page 123a in the Book of Leinster. So there you can see I've highlighted it's entitled Noel Gova Everde, uh, Noel Gova being a compound of Noel, loud noise, and Gova, mourning, um, therefore a loud, a loud mourning, not just any lament. Another is uttered by Gerig, uh, Gerig's wife, Nogel Ingen Erdige, in Tuchford Ferreve, um, when her husband is killed trying to protect their fortress. The, this lament is 10 quatrains long, and she celebrates her husband's popularity uh, among men as a, a hospitaller, um, and also among women, for that matter, who enjoyed his personal company. Um, there, are there are a few overt expressions of grief but Nogel uh, intimates in the final line that uh, that Rob, her husband's killer, um, has basically killed her as well in the process. The similar sentiment is found in one of the verses uttered in the lament of Ferev, the female love interest who lends her name to the title to this tale. So there she says, "As through Mochovingson live, excalled dear the sigmifri, Robadarlumsa dull live, is molluscut." So here she's lamenting her own futility, um, there, shedding tears and mourning, and she expresses her desire to join the dead. I prefer to go with you. It's and for me to be burned to ashes. So quite the expression of grief. Um, so now one of the two standalone poems attributed to women. So here we have Medav Lethderg, daughter of Kumon uh, Kulin and wife of um, She celebrates the martial prowess of her late husband, um, he carried battle over Clumol. In the next quatrain, she lauds his virtue as somebody who speaks the truth before describing his physical appearance. So raven black, black brows, skin as white as lime and long-armed, giving us a glimpse into what was considered a handsome man, at least in the opinion of, of Methablethder. Um, an insight into their relationship is the fact that she does, she remembers fondly them traveling together um, and uh, uh, the remainder of the poem celebrates his victory in various ba battles and his martial prowess. So these characteristics are, of course, either a reflection of what a woman wanted in a man, or indeed what a man thought that a woman wanted. <laughs> um, good looks, good company, a truthful disposition, and the ability to win a fight. So the other standalone poem, it's really talked here at the end of the column. Um, uh, uh, it appears on page 58, um, and the uh, the inscription is, is now barely legible, as you can see here. Um, so there are a few Gurmlots in early Irish literature, but this woman is a figure whose death is recorded under the year 948 in the Annals. And she's the daughter of the Neil King, uh, Flan Shunna, King of Tara. Gurmloth is also the subject of a short fragment, fragmentary prosometrum on page 52 in, in, in this manuscript, um, which summarizes her turbulent relationship with her husband, um, the Leinster King Carival McMurdoghan, um, that actually ends in divorce. So elsewhere in a poem on page 201b, 
for example, she's described as having committed Genevu Brana, uh, terrible deeds. Um, there she's also described as Glorva, which Gwyn translated as ready of speech, um, i.e. outspoken, which tallies well with her character as depicted in the story leading up to her divorce. Um, she admonishes her husband for his inaction in the Battle of Belachmogna, and he gives her a kick in retaliation. Indeed, the poem found here, uh, packed tightly to the end of column A, um, appears to be another example of Gormlath's outspoken nature. Now, to the best of my knowledge, this poem hasn't been edited or translated. Well, the diplomatic edition is available, um, but it hasn't been translated. Um, and she says, And you can see here um, that there's there's a gap, there's a, there's a word missing. Um, uh, so who's fitting among the clerics of the churches to go without a halidom, without a relic? Um, the ex-priest of Clune, uh, in third place name here. Uh, who has plundered it for the sake of your white mantle. Um, the second quatrain is semi-prophetic or perhaps a threat. Uh, Gurmlop exclaims that there is a king alive this year who will die next year. Um, who could she be talking about? So uh, there are plenty of examples of female characters engaging with others in the form of verse versified dialogue. Um, which I've mentioned already. But one of the funnier exchanges is the prosometrum about a loaf of bread uh, between a gilda, a servant, and a kallach, an old woman. Um, oh, loaf, you are in danger. Um, so this poem begins with, as McKenna put it, a mock heroic line. Um, and it features it features this, this dialogue. Uh, here the kallach, She's the preserver of the history of the Lenstermen victories, the Lenstermen's victories, um, having lived through them herself. Her enumeration of the battles won by the Lenstermen over the other provinces of Ireland highlight the fact that women in medieval Ireland, though rarely mentioned in the context of battle, they, they also lived through raids and wars too. Um, so moreover, someone like the Kalyach is a font of wealth, uh, a, a font of knowledge even about the past events of her people and um, she's very proud of their exploits and she sings the praises of her king and um, she says so i haven't heard of a king of better understanding than brandov of the proud hostages um, nor better to age for battle um, nor for the putting down of tyranny. So it's it's hard. I'm just coming to the end now um, um, because I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that we have a QA afterwards um, and we can go back to some of these images if you if you want to because I know I went through them quite quickly. But um, it, it is hard to sum up these women in the book of Leinster and I'm not going to attempt to do so. I would instead like to finish this talk about brilliant medieval Irish women with some samples of laudatory terms used for them. So Moreva, great excellences. Ulvach, victorious, that's used with regard to Bridget. Kongoi, Con without deceit. 
mowed noble um, and tends a thrower for her might. But the one I think is worth taking, taking away with you in honor of Women's Day and Women's History Month is this one here. Um, uh, besides being a woman, she was a warrior. And I think the women of Ireland are all warriors. <laughs> now I'm back on. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Very interesting and a massive overview in such a short time as well in different attitudes. Uh, so the discussion is open. Uh, I had one that I can't find now from, from Anna. I'm sure she has to go now as well which is she was fascinated by uh, the similarities between medieval Irish women as they appear here in your selection and uh, uh, those in, in, in Roman literature, Latin literature, and including different attitudes could, could be very dismissive. Uh, would be better if I were able to see it again, but I can't, it seems to be gone. Uh, oh, I have it here, yeah, okay. Uh, so at the same time, celebration of women outstanding for their valor. Mm -hmm. uh, or for their powerful elegiac voice. I was wondering whether the context of production and circulation of the poems occasion intended audience may account for the different attitudes, or was it a case of individual poet's choice? Oh gosh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose it's just, I suppose it's the, po the poet's choice, isn't it? Um, uh, uh, it depends on the type of text that you have. If you have say, something like the Leverick Walla, um, it's, it's all about the glorious past and uh, um, it's, it's an unrealistic reflection of, of women in society, but it's women in the past. And it reminds me a little bit of, um, uh, you know, the common misconception now that women in medieval Ireland had way more, uh, plenty more rights than, uh, than they did, say, 20 years ago in Ireland, um, people <laughs> often, you know, um, and uh, so that kind of backwards glance of women's role in society is often very rose-tinted um, and uh, down, definitely down to the context of, of, of the tale. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you Luke have any Cullin opinions yourself? Luke Cullinan wrote in saying, do you have any idea how these instances of women in literature compare with other contemporary European literatures in terms of frequency and themes? That's a very comparative question, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, my only point of comparison is, my, my greatest point of comparison is uh, uh, medieval literature from uh, belonging to other uh, 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 Celtic languages, um, yeah. and I, I feel like I feel like women do feature more prominently here than they do in in Middle Welsh material. But then again, our the the breadth of material available to us is also much greater than it is for uh, the study of Middle Middle Welsh. Um, so so I don't I don't know. I haven't done a great comparative analysis there. It's a totally different departure, of course, they have to do all of this. Michaela Hoyle would like to know, do you get a sense of change over time in portraits of women in Irish literature, or is it a fairly static picture? Um, I do think it changes. I mean, even, I didn't talk about it today, but the depiction of uh, Queen Maeve changes from recension one to recension two. You can 
see a kind of <laughs> skepticism creeping in more in recension two uh, than in one where she's more she's dismissed more in recension two um and <laughs> that <laughs> um you know so uh, uh i think so and i think when you head into the early modern irish period you get greater influences from the continent and uh with regard to the romantic view of women um so yeah definitely i think it does change over time yeah well, did that change in time if I may come in there myself about the two recensions of the time, which perhaps wisely you excluded here, but the myth of is so outstanding. I would say, or it has been argued that she's being dealt with very dismissively also in her first recension, only mm -hmm. the terms of expression are different. Patricia Kelly made that point that she's put there as a female leader and very much an unsuccessful one, just to create a, a deterrent, a picture of a woman who went beyond her bounds. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, uh, whatever laudatory attitudes are used for that, that's all part of the message, because she's going down in the end. Uh, now, Leo Enright uh, wondering, I was intrigued by that as well. He says, I'm intrigued by the missing word after the <laughs> word kluona on this uh, an open, there's nothing rubbed out or anything. Is this common? Was the word censored at some stage? Or could was there something there and infrared might bring it up again? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think there was anything there to begin with. Um, uh, it looks like a, it looks like a gap was left, and I don't know why the gap was left. Uh, perhaps later to be filled. Um, and I, I actually, I'm, I'm not sure what's supposed to go there. I need to look into it further. Um, but there's Jeff. I don't think there's censorship involved. I think there's uh, uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's easy. Well, is it easy? Uh, we seem to be tied by looking for a particular rhyme in Irish called Akil, uh, because we're already in a, in a, the, the, the rhymes between second and fourth line, the main rhyme. So what is there would seem to be among the candidates in the last line to rhyme with that. Both of them are a slut and brat. So it has to rhyme with that. And there needs to, needs to be a place name the way it looks like it's Kluen something at Ak. Uh, I haven't looked around for that, but perhaps we can recover the place name. But still, that doesn't solve the question. Where is it gone? Why was it not written in? Yeah. Yeah. Owen uh, yeah. Uh, does the fact that the scribe was almost certainly a cleric say anything about the church's attitude to women and sex in pre-Norman Ireland? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, this is it, you know. Um, uh, it's it's always true that this literature is written through a male lens um, and through the lens of the church as well and it's always going to influence the themes that you that you find presumably and and the messages in some of the tales um you know um i mean i mean we find the the great example of the colophon in the book of leinster is that a lot of this was written for the for the delight of fools um and that's coming from the scribe uh, at Delectatio Stultorum. Um, so uh, that's that's what our scribe thought of us reading these these foolish tales. Yeah. And combining what we said about Medev, and Anna Shahud also points out that we should not forget about Bodica, the, the warrior queen in, in southern Britain, was very much victorious, not in the end, but uh, and so that's actually in laudatory terms uh, a warrior's. So it could then be that uh, what we get, the message conveyed, what Medev as uh, a combination of inherited laudatory attitude plus inversion by the church in telling this, but Bodica was not treated by the church in that sense. 
Mm -hmm. That's a very good point, actually. Uh, Eva King, uh, question from Facebook. Are you planning any publication? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not. Um, I like I've my project at the moment is very big in the Dublin Institute and my side project is very big. And uh, uh, while I like to add to a little folder I have here about women in medieval Ireland, um, whenever I come across some nice examples, um, I, uh, I, I, I mean, maybe in, maybe in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, well, well it's, it's published it's in a sense by recording, so it will be sitting on Facebook if I'm not mistaken, so that's one way. Uh, I'm at the bar wondering about the quality and class, in inverted commas, uh, of the poems attributed to women. Is there anything of note regarding the meter used and amount of ornamentation? Do, oh we have enough material, do we have enough material to do the comparison? Yeah, well, I think you'd have to, yeah, we only have two poems in LL anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them's only two quatrains long. Um, I'm missing a word. Um, and, uh, <laughs> But uh, the other one, um, or this uh, Medlev's one, I mean, I'm trying to remember what meter it's written in. I have it here, but there's nothing, there's nothing of note that would make it different from any other example of syllabic poetry. Um, it's as ornamented or unornamented as any other uh, metrical. So just reflects the normal level of training, I suppose, that you might expect, even though they're normally anonymous. I mean, even if you look at poems, say, that is the contained in contemporary old Irish manuscripts, edited in the thesaurus, mostly, or a lot of them from the St. Gall Codex, uh, and uh, just assuming they're all by men, uh, some of them are much more heavily or artistically annotated and ornamented than others. So uh, it, it would not be a question of gender in that case. Uh, when did Mary Hoare, when did Irish literature begin to reflect a more modern, i.e. more realistic vision of strong, capable Irish women? Oh gosh, that's a question. Um, uh, I mean, that's hard, hard to say, uh, Mary, I mean, you find, uh, I'm not sure what you mean by uh, the modern idea of a... Yeah. Of a strong woman um because i think uh, i think even your modern woman like today it draws on old ideas of the strong woman <laughs> or, or mythological ideas uh, um of the strong woman um uh, to to draw on on the ideal for power um uh, yeah so well it's a hard hard question to answer yeah especially the, the, as you say the element of modern uh, but when it comes to professional female poets, I mean, again, we don't know too much about beyond those snippets, things like that, that you've, you've illustrated. Uh, of course, we do have that famous Fedelm, who comes out with the dire warning, Cassandra-like, at the beginning of the time, uh, that she sees red and heavy red, and this will all go wrong, and Medef, of course, ignores her. So that's at least uh, in a saga by picture uh, as a character. Uh, invented uh, a female professional poetess. Uh, but what about, for instance, Leodin Agus that love story when both of them in 
at different times, one or the other goes off to, to join an order, having been almost a loving couple before that. Uh, but they meet uh, when they're both on a poetry circuit. And she says, I will be with you, but now while I'm busy doing this, it's going to ruin my circuit. Visit me at home and then uh, I go with you. And in the meantime, she has become a nun, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. so we do have at least those insights like that into the very existence of professional poetesses. Mm. Do we know any more? I, it's mentioned in the Breath of Crow Liga um, oh, yeah. that uh, uh, the poetess, it was, you know, uh, there were women who were poetesses, but I don't know of any other who were no. real no. poetesses, let's say, yeah. So then, uh, looking around, uh, only get this in writing, uh, there don't seem to be any, any other questions. Uh, you stopped a tiny bit early, so you left plenty of room, and after all, it's 10 to almost. So can I thank you very much again? And that was a great starting point to hopefully a long-lasting lecture series by the Manuscript Book and Print Cultures team. And uh, so it will be hard to follow. Uh, very good first step. Thank you very the much. The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book and print cultures, stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Time of Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral Sea. The, the Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Here's to the next 10 years.